0: Today's Bible reading is in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verses 32 to chapter 12, verse, t- verses 2. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, and who has ever given to God? that he should be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen therefore brothers and sisters in view of the mercies of God I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true worship do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God.
1: Well, good morning. It's good to be with you, those in the building, those online. And uh, even this morning, I've had a chance to meet uh, a number of people who are new here today or are family visiting. Uh, We have people from different cultures, um, different uh, journeys in their faith journey, people exploring Jesus, people who have been a Christian for a long time. And as I look at all of that, I say to God, be the glory. And uh, that is our theme for this month. I didn't want kind of our vision month to be all about us. Uh, we've been given a vision and we are the product of God's vision and so let us celebrate God as we explore this grand theme of God's glory. Now, let me ask you a question because it's Vision Month, uh, the question is, what do you see? What do you see in this kind of uh, little snapshot from Google Maps uh, some of you might recognise it, some of you just think it's just a kind of a picture of you know, the urban sprawl, but there's us in the middle of it, right? Uh, there's the roundabout of Binalong and... There's so many B names, I still get them confused. What's the street you live on? Barabogie, there we go. That's the corner we live on, my goodness. Um, and and you know, at, at one level, you know, it's a really precious kind of a square kilometre of the earth because that's where we meet, that's where lives are changed in this very building. That's where we gather to glorify God. Uh, Some of us will even live in this square kilometre and so therefore it's a bit more precious still. Um, You know, but but even, you know, God willing we, we are able to continue with our building project hopes and see great things happen there. But, you know, even at this scale, should we have a building project completed, it wouldn't actually dramatically change the landscape, would it? The preciousness of this space on earth is because God has called us here to Himself and it's a beautiful thing. What do you see What do you see now? (laughs) I can't even make out to you anymore. Um, I see see a city. I see a city that needs to know the love of Jesus. I see a city that I've grown up in and love. Some of you have moved to this city from different places around the world. Some of you, like me, have called this city home your whole life as well. What do you see now? (laughs) It's getting a bit, uh, we're getting very small, Uh, the earth's looking quite big. Uh, I've even put a little scale at the bottom for those with really good eyes, 10,000 kilometres, so the radius of the earth is about 6,000 kilometres, you know, that's, that's quite big. And actually, the, the more massive an object is, a little bit of science lesson here, uh, that's, that's how gravi- gravity works. We, we stick to the earth because the earth is massive. And in fact, the moon, which you can barely make out, there it is here, just little, a little spot here, the moon orbits the earth because the earth is massive compared to the moon. Uh, there's all kinds of things we could say about that, but you know, as we keep zooming out, we're getting smaller and we're seeing just how massive our creation is. We keep going, right? The sun, you know how, like all those pictures you see in like kid science books where kind of you've got the picture of the sun and all the planets next to it? When you actually put it to scale, the planets are tiny and are sprawling across the, you know, our, our, our galaxy, our solar system. But there is the sun. The sun is 1.3 million times the size of our earth, just in case you wanted to feel a little bit smaller, right? Um, and it burns brightly, uh, giving us the sun that we enjoy and what a beautiful day it is. That sun that hits your skin and makes you feel warm has travelled eight minutes to get to you. So if the, eight, if the sun blew up now, we wouldn't even know for another eight minutes. So we will cut my sermon short and uh, we'd see Jesus real quick. But... Um, uh, of course, the sun, being the most massive thing in our solar system, has everything in the solar system orbiting it. But if we kept zooming out, and I promise, I'll, this is going somewhere. I promise. Uh, if we kept if we kept zooming out, you know, our nearest sun, and its our nearest star, which is just like our sun, uh, is Alpha Centauri. Now, light travels four and a, four, nearly four and a half years from that place to get to us, so that when we see it in the sky, we're actually seeing it four and a half years ago. And that's incredible, my mind boggles thinking about the scale of our universe, but as we keep zooming out, we can't even see, we definitely can't see Tungabi, I can't even see our sun anymore. That bright spot in the the kind of one of the spiral arms of our galaxy is not our sun, because our sun's not that big a deal in the universe, sorry to bust your bubble there, Uh, it's tiny. And, and, and as we look at kind of this, that the, all of these stars, millions and billions and trillions, this is, just, this is just one little spiral arm of the galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy that we call home. Are you feeling small yet? <laughs> but what else do you see? Surely we're starting to see, if you hadn't seen it already, the glory of God. For all of creation sings His glory and our universe is mind-bogglingly large, massive. At the center of this galaxy, our galaxy, the Milky Way, is a supermassive black hole. It's so massive that the whole galaxy spins around it. Uh, uh, um, uh, When we're starting to talk about scales of kind of, you know, massive suns and black holes, we use kind of a unit called solar masses. Uh, I know this because we were listening to a podcast all the way back from uh, Adelaide with our kids in the car. It kept us sane. I enjoyed it. The kids enjoyed it. Um, But we're talking about something that weighs tens of millions of times the mass of our sun. It is massive. And that, okay, that's what it takes for a whole galaxy to spin around it, as it were, but again we keep zooming out and even our galaxy is not a big deal in the universe. Now, I've cheated here, this is actually a picture from the Hubble telescope uh, pointing sort of away and out rather than sort of like with us still at the centre of it, as it were, but you get the picture, literally, that there are billions, they reckon hundreds of billions of galaxies which contain billions of stars, which contain little planets, And we are but a speck in that. Now, in case you're coming to church with some problems on your mind, I hope I've made them feel real small. Um, But in the process, we feel tiny, right? But again, as we feel tiny, as we look at the grandeur of our universe, how glorious and massive is our God? Because if galaxies and and sort of solar systems and planets spin around massive things, how much more so does all of creation centre around our massive God, who put all these things in motion? Psalm 8 says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory in the heavens. The psalmist continues, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars who are we that you would be mindful of us? I love that psalm. It captures the bigness of God as we, as we sort of cast our eyes upon the heavens, of which we just see spots in the sky. We think, wow, God has set His glory in the heavens. And as big as our God is, we ask the question, who are we that you would be mindful of us? And yet, He loves us. I was actually preaching Psalm 8, Uh, There's some in in Melrose Nursing Home, just down the road here this week. It was a wonderful time with the old saints there and uh, as I'm preaching through Psalm 8 and using some of these pictures that I've used now, without some of the sciencey bits, uh, this lady yells out, you're so tall. (laughs) Yes, I am tall, but I am so, so small. I am just a speck in the God's glorious creation. In fact, uh, John Calvin, one of the great uh, reformers uh, uh, who pointed Christians all over the world and and really history since then back to the Bible, said all of creation is the theatre of God's glory. We see on this stage just how amazing our God is and at the centre of this stage, this theatre, is God Himself because not only did He make creation but He centres in it, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see God's glory in two ways, in creation and in redemption. We'll unpack some of that uh, in a moment. But this Vision Month, as I've said, I want us to see, not simply us, I want us to see the grandeur of God and then from the splendour of God see all things accordingly, including us. Because as small as we feel, God cares for us, He sees us. Uh, each, uh, each week in Vision Month, uh, we're going to look at God's glory in a different angle and I'm going to use parts of our vision statement, uh, particularly the words you saw in that bumper video of being an ever-growing, diverse church family. They're going to be the three kind of frail words that we're going to capture in the three weeks after this as we explore God's glory in, from different angles. Uh, But the question I want to ask of each of us today, and maybe each week, if we don't have time to share after the sermon, uh, uh, you know, sometimes we do Q&A, if we have time, I simply just want to ask this question and get reflections, what has God put on your heart today? Uh, If we don't get to that, ask each other over morning tea, what has God put on your heart today? It might be something reading through the booklet, it might be something you've heard from this morning, it might be kind of just something that's crystallised as the Holy Spirit works in you. But my hope is that we would see God's glory all the more, and that we would partner together in our labor to see Him glorified every day, everywhere, and in every way. So let me ask the obvious question that I may have skipped over already What is uh, God's glory? Uh, Now, I'm going to get to Romans 12 but in a classic kind of mic talk, we'll get to it in a a little while because we're going to cover a few big passages on the way because God's glory is such a massive theme, it's probably the biggest theme of all of Scripture, right? Uh, And so let me just ask some basic questions here, what is God's glory? Uh, Now, we use glory in all kinds of ways through that, you you might say as you walked from your car to the church uh, door, what a glorious day and you mean splendid, you mean wonderful, Uh, You might think of your week as glorious, your job as, maybe not not many of us think of our job as glorious but, you know, we we kind of use glory uh, in all kinds of ways. You might have been to a a football game recently or or watched some sport on TV and you are chanting for your team uh, onto glory. You're participating in something as you long for them to, to win, to be glorious, to be famous, but the Hebrew and the Greek words behind glory are much richer than the ways that we use glory. Uh, the first word that you see on the screen, "kabod," uh, is, is, is one of the Hebrew words used for glory, uh, and it means it means weight. That's a kind of, it's an odd, you might not have all the words you kind of think of associating with glory, weight might not be one of them but I think it's really important and I actually think that the way I started the sermon in talking about the massive things in our universe and how things centre around massive things, helps us to capture what the Hebrew writers are using this word for. That is, God is massive and all of creation centres around Him and His gravitas as it were. Uh, his weight of glory is, is, is pressing upon us. Now, For those that glorify him, that's great, but, but also for those that don't yet know him, his gravitas presses upon them and we long for them to recognize the weight of God, his massiveness, his awesomeness. The, uh, the Greek word doxa, uh, which is where we get the word doxology from. Uh, we might not use that word all that often, but often, you know, at the end of chapter 11, that part that uh, was read out for us, that's a doxology, it's a praise, it's giving God the glory. And, and behind that word doxa is splendor. And similarly, you know, if we look at that sort of the space metaphor, we see kind of the splendor of the bright shining suns the stars of our universe that, that kind of cast light across the universe that we step out into when we go out into this glorious day. And so too with God, His brightness, His splendor shines upon us. These two words help us understand that the breadth and the wonder of God's glory. And so when the psalmist says in Psalm 8, how majestic is your name, how splendid is your name, He's not just actually talking about God the Creator, he's referring to God's name because God has made Himself known in this creation. His weight presses upon us as He personally reveals Himself. His splendour is revealed as we see the character of our great God. And the psalmists resound, all praise is due to Him. When you hear God's name in the Old Testament, Yahweh you know He is the center of all things and all creation is to praise Him and we live for the fame of His name. Our first point today is about centering our lives on the God who is glorious. There are all kinds of things that get in the way of that. Our worries, our struggles, the other bright lights in our life. And So let's join with Moses and ask this question, show me or, the, or even demand this thing of God, show me your glory. Now Moses says this in Exodus 33 uh, after they've uh, you know, be, been, been delivered, redeemed out of Egypt uh, and I just think this is the most insane thing to ask of God ever. Like for instance, if we go outside, I keep drawing upon this analogy, outside the sun is shining, it feels warm on our skin, uh, now, it feels warm uh, because it's not too, you know, late in the day, uh, it's actually not a super hot day, it's also being filtered through our atmosphere. Uh, there is no way you can say, sun, show me your glory and it's really, you, know, you could stand directly in front of the sun, right? You, we know that we'd be vaporised. How much more so, ridiculous, is this kind of imperative of God? Show me your glory, I can take it. <laughs> Moses has no idea what he's asking in a way and yet I love his heart. Show me your glory, God. I live for nothing else. I want to see your goodness. I want your splendor to shine on me. But God being God knows that his glory is too bright for Moses and he says to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name, the Lord, before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That is, he's revealing his glory, his goodness. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. You can't handle the fullness of my glory, but I will reveal myself to you. His request is good and beautiful and may we request it too. God, show me your glory. Let us live for you and you alone. As we are, as we contemplate just how small we are and how glorious God is. You know, for a moment there, as we think about Moses' request, as we think about just how brightly shining God is, for a moment there, we fear being obliterated By the holiness, by the glory of God. Like we could not stand before the sun, how could we stand before this God? And yet, even the psalmist in Psalm 8 knows, who are we that you are mindful of us? But he knows that God loves us. He has set His love upon us. Now, that is crazy. Psalm 8 is one of my favourite psalms. I don't expect the Prime Minister to care for me personally. I don't care, I I can't imagine anyone of, of fame and notoriety in this world caring about little Mike. I'm not after your sympathy, I'm just making a statement. How much more so might we expect God to care for us and yet that's how glorious He is because the Creator God also loves you and cares for you. Now all this begins to culminate in the Lord Jesus and we'll get to Romans 12 in a second but it's the Lord Jesus who makes God's glory fully known because we read that Jesus is the one that actually created all things and it's Jesus who reveals God's love to us as He comes to earth and reveals God in full. And so John 1 says, the Word became flesh, the Word being a way to describe Jesus, the Son of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling, the Word behind that's the tabernacle, that rich idea of actually God dwelling His presence among His people, His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Moses was not able to see the glory of God, but God says, I will send Jesus so that all people might see who I am. But the thing is, is when Jesus came, He didn't come just as a bright shining light in the ways of greatness and glory that we would expect in this world, but He came to show how much this great God who created the heavens and earth loved us. And He demonstrated His love for us in dying for us. Jesus prays this prayer at the end and the climax of John's Gospel. Before He dies for us, He prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that Your Son may glorify You. God's glory is revealed most splendidly. In His love for you, as He dies for you, so that you will not be obliterated by His holiness and splendour, but be embraced by a God who draws, him to your, to, to, draws you to Himself and shares His glory with you. Now, get your head around that. As we zoom out from Tungabi all the way across the known universe all that is God's, all that He made and we go, wow, God is glorious. That God wants to share His glory with you and draws you to Himself in the death of the Lord Jesus so that you would not have to face judgment, that you would not be obliterated but you would be drawn into the very presence of God. Now, all of this is why Paul, when he gets to Romans chapter 11, having surveyed the wonders of salvation in Jesus Christ and having just wrestled with what it means for God to be the God of Israel and and salvation being made known first to the Jew and then to the Gentile and as he wrestles with all of this, he just bursts out in this doxology In this praise of God, he says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. It's like as he's writing, he sort of stopped and and he said a lot of great things and there's a lot of things to really wrestle with, but he hasn't sort of tied everything up neatly. If you've read Romans 9 to 11, you've got a lot of questions still, I'm sure. Uh, But he gets this point as as he outlines all these things, oh my goodness, God is amazing. Who else has the wisdom and knowledge of God? Who has searched His judgments? Who has been His counselor? No one. There is no one more glorious than God. There is no one standing behind God who taught God. And we certainly haven't taught God. But we marvel at His wisdom and His grace and His love and His truth He finishes there in 36, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. From God, He created all things uh, through Him. He is working through all things for His purposes. He is involved in all things and to Him are all things. That is, all things will return to Him as the God who created and who is glorious and is to be praised. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. That would have been quite a full stop as Paul wrote that, I'm sure. And I want us to, as we survey kind of the the glory of God through the Scriptures, to arrive at the same conclusion. Oh, how magnificent is our God. Not only in the way He created our extraordinary universe, but how He has set His love upon you. You are not just a mere speck of space dust. You are made in the glorious image of God. And you are worthy of Jesus' blood spilt for you, because he loves you and wants to draw him to yourself, to draw you to himself and share His glory with you. Now, my goodness, our vision, our vision attack is to see God glorified. Our mission is to worship Him and to see all people honor God accordingly, because He alone is worthy. That's actually where we get the word worship from, Uh, worthy, Uh, 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 that God alone is worthy, we worship Him and we pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come on earth as in glory, Uh, sorry, as in heaven. All of this centres around who God is as glorious. Now, we'll unpack this a little bit in the second part uh, but we have a problem we have a kind of a, a glory-worship problem. Um, I heard a story um, uh, a little while ago about Messi and, uh, and Ronaldo, uh, a lot of rivalry between those two, they're both pretty talented soccer players, football players, sorry. Uh, and um, Ronaldo once said, uh, I believe God has sent me into the world to teach the world how to play football. It's a bit of an arrogant thing to say, right? I mean, I guess, I guess he knows his gifts, he wants to share them, that's, you know, that's, that's the positive spit on that, but my goodness, what an arrogant thing to say. Someone asked Messi what he thought about Ronaldo's statement, given the rivalry, and Messi said, I don't remember sending him. <laughs> Whoa, that is next level arrogance, right? Man, man. Now, we laugh, but that's a little snapshot of, what, of what's happening in here for us, we have a glory worship problem because we think of ourselves too highly, we get distracted by all the other things in this world and God's glory, as glorious as it is, kind of tends to shrink, like fade off like a distant star. Romans 1 puts it, we have exchanged the truth of God's glory for a lie. And we believe the lie, and I say we, like in in just broad human terms, in all kinds of ways. For some ways, it's like worshipping other gods, literally. That's a lie. There is only but one God, and He is glorious, and He's made His name known among us in the Lord Jesus. For some of us, the lie is just a deluded sense of self or purpose, attaching ourselves to things as ultimate that are not ultimate. But in most cases, I think it's actually, we're just amusing ourselves to death. Neil Postman actually used and coined this phrase, I think, amusing ourselves to death, referring to uh, uh, news televised in 1985, referring to the way that we kind of just sort of hoover in kind of whatever is flashing before us. Now, that's 1985. How much more so in this age of doom-scrolling, just distracting ourselves, amusing ourselves to death... We've found a way to make God small by just amusing ourselves in trivial kinds of ways. Now, we don't think of it like that, we just do it. We just find our way. Modern worship is a way of handing ourselves over to amusement, passing the time with distraction and a deluded sense of grandeur. Let us recapture the wonder of God rejoin our endeavours with the very purposes and glory of God. We are called, as people made in the glorious image of God, to worship Him. That is our purpose. The Westminster uh, Confession uh, and the Heidelberg Catechism uh, both kind of reflect on what it means for us, for our purpose. Our very purpose in life is to glorify God and that is to worship Him, because as Revelation 4 puts it, He alone is worthy of glory, and so let us worship Him. Now, when I say the word worship, you know, if I was to Google kind of a a background picture, which I often do in creating these slides, uh, you know, I I I would find pretty quickly, as I did uh, in preparing for this sermon, a bunch of, what do you think? If I type in worship and I'm looking for a Google picture, what do I find? hands, music, yep, a bit of smoke maybe. Uh, You know, we're very likely to get that sort of that Pentecostal idea of church, hands raised in song, but that is just such a small aspect of worship. When we think of how big God's glory is, that's just a small way to express how we think God is worthy of praise. Worship is, is all of life, God is too big to restrict it to one moment, one mode. Just as Paul bursts out in glorifying God at the end of Romans 11, he rolls into Romans 12 where he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, you have access to this glorious God because of His mercy, not because of anything to do with you. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true worship. That is so much bigger than singing at church, as wonderful as it is. I'll touch on that in a moment. But to see Paul's vision for us, as expansive as God's glory is, so big is his vision for your worship of Him. There's three sort of ideas that that kind of are unpacked under uh, the, the way the New Testament uses the word worship. The first one being service, uh, which makes sense here, right? We are to serve the living God. We are to present ourselves as as living sacrifices. Let's just take take service for a moment here. Serving God is about offering ourselves to God, for He alone is worthy. Now, other social commentators have made sort of much, actually, of how we are all worshipping creatures. If, if we worship money or kind of career advancement, then that is the way that we serve uh, in, in this world. And we pursue that, worshipping that means. But is that worthy of your life? Is that worthy of the grand vision and purpose of life? We're saying God alone is worthy and we serve Him above all other things. Sacrifice... Paul puts in this here, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, people used to worship God by offering a sacrifice, by saying, you alone are worthy of the first and the best fruits of, of what I've harvested. Or, or it might be put in kind of like, you are worthy and, and I am unworthy because I have sinned and so I offer this sacrifice in honour of who you are as a God who loves and forgives and who has mercy and in the same way, we are to offer our lives as living sacrifices. When we worship God and when we submit to Him and when we serve Him, that comes at cost to us, does it not? It might cost us our money, it might cost us our time, for some people it costs their job, that might not be our case in Sydney. But these are, 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 are acts of worship to God, putting Him above all at cost to ourselves and that's a sacrifice and that's a mode of worship. The third one is a posture. Paul says to present our bodies. You know, in, um, uh, in uh, the Old Testament, we see all kinds of posture of worship. We might think of of David uh, leading kind of Israel in in worship uh, with a tambourine and the lyre and hands raised and kind of dancing. And I have have to admit, I do find it funny when we sing songs about lifting our hands. And what's our posture? (laughs) Um, Now, I I think some of our restraint has come from sort of, uh, you know, opposing some of the excesses in Pentecostalism. But I actually, I sometimes think we're too restrained. Let's come back to the simplicity of worshipping God with our bodies and with our lives. And for some of us, that might look like raising our hands or kind of moving. Our Zimbabwean friends would love to dance in the aisles, whatever. Like, there has to be an order in our church. But let's not be restrained in the way that we posture our bodies, because at the centre of our bodies is a posture of our heart that ought to leap for joy. That has a contrite heart, because we are putting ourselves before the God who is glorious, who knows us, who loves us, and we live for Him. And so as we finish up, let me think about this. Right, I want us to worship. I want us to respond to God's glory every day, every Sunday, and everywhere. So every day, I want you to think about tomorrow, Monday, for those going to work, I want you to go tomorrow and worship. <laughs> now, I don't mean put on Hillsong and kind of dance around while you're working, right? Now, I, I mean that, that you, 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 you recognise God's glory in your workplace, that you recognise that you are working in God's creation, serving people made in the image of God and serving them in a way that honours God, your very character. That is worship, <laughs> Now, doing that might be costly. It might take up mental resources in thinking about that. It might actually mean that in in working in a way that honours God, actually cuts across the culture of your work that would rather not honour God. Whatever that means for you, work it out, but start with worship. (laughs) Um, Every Sunday, Sunday is special. What does it look like when we have a bunch of, you know, hundreds of Christians uh, that call Tungabi Church home, uh, coming together on Sundays, they've been living their whole week, Monday to Saturday, worshipping God, uh, you know, shining the, the light and splendour of God wherever they go. What happens, what what may what expect when you take those hundreds of people and put them together in one place? There is a specialness as we acknowledge the gathering of God's people That is, that we are a product of our glorious God on mission to draw people to Himself. This is a little snapshot of the heavenly kind of a gathering when all nations will be gathered before the heavenly throne of the Lord Jesus. There is a specialness to Sunday. And so let's acknowledge that. I also acknowledge that some of you will come through the doors of that church heavy laden and feel like, oh man, I really dragged myself to get to church today. I actually don't want to be here. But yet that's an act of faith to come into the house of God, as it were, and actually just, just, just lay yourself out before Him and expect to be taught, expect to be challenged, expect to be enriched, but also expect to be an encouragement to others. This morning I had um, a kind of a long and angsty discussion with a child who refused to come to church this morning. It's always hard when a pastor's son doesn't want to come to church, um, but just being real with you. And, uh, and, and I said to him, I said... Uh, I won't tell you who it was, Um, I said, I'm always encouraged by your questions, you know, even when you tell me, I don't believe in that, because when you ask questions, you're actually just, you're curious and you explore. I love the way that you pray, I love the way you ask me to pray for you, I love the way you sing and the way you love Christian music. Sundays when we gather together are an important part of our Christian walk. And would you, would you come along this morning to experience these things together, but also would you encourage someone else? Maybe someone else is struggling too. Let us think about what God is doing when He gathers His people to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus, to be encouraged to encourage. Now, this, this particular talk is sort of unusual amongst the four in that I really want to set the theme of God's glory first and foremost. But if we were to look in the booklet, you'll see very first on, uh, in this theme of magnification, when we use the language of magnification, we're talking about magnifying the glory of God. And we're particularly talking about doing that on Sundays. So firstly, the context of magnification is that we worship God every day, in every way uh, and uh, everywhere... But we we magnify God, especially when we come together and shine His brilliance together. And you'll see in this that we want to continue to express this in various ways. We're thankful for, you know, 41 singers and musicians, for 60 Bible readers, 40 prayers, uh, 20 service leaders, 30 people involved in AV. Just take a look at the back for a moment there. These guys are often sort of uh, doing the quiet work that no one sees, unless someone makes a mistake and everyone turns around, stop doing that. Um, But... (laughs) Because they're they're, they're volunteers and they're doing this out of the love of their heart and they do a great job. And for those online, you're watching this because of their work, because of their worship, right? Uh, So we're thankful, so thankful for what already happens. And as we continue to want to see God magnified in this place, you know, we we need to grow our, our, our music teams. It's a hard gig for musicians to do two morning services back to back. So I want you to thank the singers especially, Uh, they're not just playing an instrument, they're using their vocal cords and sometimes they're wrecked by the end of it, Uh, but thank all those involved in our music ministry. Uh, If you want to be involved in in, in different aspects of the service, uh, come talk to me, I'm currently heading up Mag, uh, but it'll be Nat when she starts in a month's time. Um, We also want to continue to work out how we use this space to share stories for your encouragement, we want to think about the accessibility of this place from, uh, for, you know, when we think about people of different abilities, coming from different cultures, that's a huge aspect to think about and we haven't been able to do a good job of that, perhaps, um, until we sort of have a bit more resourcing and I thank you for your generosity enabling us to get someone like Nat on board. There's lots to consider but at the centre of this is worshipping our great God. I'm going to finish with a story, I've got two stories here, which one I'll share with you. Hmm... Um, let me share you, I'll share with you this. Um, I might post the other story on Facebook, actually. Uh, over, over the holidays, I had uh, the, you know, the joy of reading, uh, in fact, audiobooking, and particularly um, as the kids and Kel flew back from Melbourne, having already done like 4,000 kilometres of driving, um, I, I drove back myself from Melbourne and just found an audiobook, press play, and, and I just soaked in it. It was a biography of William Carey, uh, who really, in many ways, is the founder of Modern Mission, he, uh, he grew up in the UK, uh, in England, uh, it wasn't the UK then, um, and uh, he grew up in, uh, in England and it was a sleepy church uh, in England. Uh, he, he had a zeal put on his heart that other people would come to know Jesus. Uh, but what he saw in the church was, was comments like, mission is God's work, if he wants to save people there, he'll raise up people to do it there, he'll find a way to do it there. There's plenty of work for us to do here. But God put on his heart such a burden, sort of the weight of God's glory was such that he continued to labour and when he realised he was not going to be able to do, sort of raise up others towards this cause, he said, I will go. And he and a a few others travelled the five, six months across through French pirates, Uh, you know, there was all kinds of drama, so many obstacles to overcome Uh, and uh, his wife was really sick, Uh, in in the end they landed in India uh, where God had put on his heart to particularly to go uh, and they faced massive obstacles within the family. Uh, one of his kids died of dysentery. Uh, there was constant threat of being deported back by the um, uh, the english uh, what 's the tea um, company The uh, what 's the, what's the name of that big eastern East India, East India Company Thank you uh, because he was not allowed to be there. They looked down upon missionaries that would upset the balance of, of sort of business. Um, there were threats from locals who were not too happy about what he was doing. Uh, The threats were enormous. He had no money. They went through all the money they had saved in the first 10 weeks. It is just extraordinary what he overcame. I'll tell you a bit more about his story in future weeks, um, but the one thing that I wanted to share with you was this mantra that he lived by. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God expect great things from God because God is great. He is glorious. And as we as we attempt great things for God, we're kind of saying actually God, you're already doing great things. You have done great things in the Lord Jesus. And so I want to step out in faith in response to that. And I'm doing great things for you because you are great. Now just in case you thought this was talking about great in the way that we would normally talk about great. Kerry, uh, 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 William Kerry's story is so full of examples of humble service, not great in the eyes of the world, but humble service. And some of the greatest things came through some of the hardest things, because we know that God's glory was revealed most fully in the cross, not in some great act in the world would see, but in an upside-down sacrificial way. In one particular case, uh, you know, he had laboured towards translating the Bible and many other things in Bengali. Uh, many people came to know Jesus because of his translation work. Uh, they'd been able to save up and, and purchase a printing press, which was remarkable for that part of the world. Uh, and one night, fire ripped through the printing house. Uh, there was one manuscript in there that he'd been working on for seven years. Gone. Uh, There there were reams and reams and building full of paper and and full of resources. And could you imagine how crushed you would be and then how easy it would be to sort of just renege on this, attempt great things for God, what a waste, (laughs) I've attempted and I've failed. But as he continued to humbly serve, the news of that fire and and the sort of the, the work that had been wrecked travelled so widely, more widely than his great work, as it were, that, that thousands of Christians around the world rallied to support the work of William Kerry and his team. And on the other side of this, more people knew about what was happening, more people were praying and more people were resourcing a greater work on the other side of this horrible fire. It was as though God had fanned into flames, excuse the pun, through hardship. So, if you're here this morning and you're hearing about God's greatness and glory and you're feeling like you're just going through hard times, know that God's glory has been most fully revealed to us in the Lord Jesus, in the blood and the nails and His death and on the other side of that was resurrection. Would you trust that God really is glorious in every part of this life so that you would worship Him every day every way and everywhere. Let me pray. Father, we are come before You, perhaps Father, with a a greater sense of how massive You are, how glorious You are, and would would You let the weight of that press upon us for all our days, that we might never forget who You are, that You might help us to cast away the distractions of this world, that we might put you first and foremost, that you would be the centre of our lives and we long with a missionary longing that this would be true for all of Tungabi, for all of this city, for all of this world and so we offer ourselves to you, Father, as living sacrifices to worship you because you are worthy. Amen.